It was Tuesday morning, and I was getting ready, Tuesday morning this week, I was getting ready for the minister's network that somehow God had ordained for me to lead, which is still an amazing thing. And we were setting for our first gathering of the month of the year, and so I'm a type A kind of guy, leader, and I wanted the question, so for the ministers in the room, what is God wanting to accomplish in your personal life and ministry? In 2024, what is God speaking to you about doing in and through your life? And this is a genuine want of wanting to know what God is stirring amongst other communities. But as I was preparing this list of things that I wanted to see God had do in my life, you know, the great grandest things of the church, my own personal life, working out, marriage goals, all these things, I felt this gentle voice enter into my heart, and it simply said, why are you trying to impress? Why are you trying to impress? Why are you trying to get yourself to seen rightly with all these different passes in front of me? This comfort comes over my soul, and I breathe a deep sigh. The word was fear. The familiar lies filled my mind that I would be rejected, believing that I am not enough, that people wouldn't like me for me, so I project the perfect image of myself, the perfect image of what the right things are to be said and done as a pastor, as someone who's married, to have the right goals, because we hate our insecurities. We hate the failure that we feel beneath the surface, so we cover up. Maybe for you it shows up like this. You're someone who loves to host people around your house. And uh, you've got this one couple that's coming, and uh, you start Googling that meal that makes you look a little more cultured, that makes you look a little more impressive. You make sure you have your decor in order, a little uh, visit to Hobby Lobby or whatever else to get yourself in place. And that new meal that took forever to think about and prepare, as, as the guests say, this is amazing. You put the phrase out, oh, it was nothing. Oh, it was nothing. After you've been doing mental gymnastics to try and pull all this magic together, it's for you maybe the confidence you exude at work. You look like you've got it all together. You lie awake at night hoping people don't find out you're not actually that good at your job. You actually feel this sinking feeling as you try and exude confidence. I hope they don't find me out. It's the overtime hours you spend over critiquing your project to keep the facade that you are the one who wows everyone amongst your colleagues. You're always the one who shows up ready to go. For our social media friends, checking in on that anniversary pic you posted you posted that one, that message of your loved one, but it's not so much about the love of them, more how it's performing. And so you check in and check in to see, rather than spending time in front of the person in front of you, you are more interested in the social media performance. Am I liked? Am I loved? It's the fear which drives the want to be loved. The conversation we are having today, we are talking about the false self. The battle of the so false self, the old self, scripture will call it, the flesh, or today, 
the fig leaves. And fear is this compulsive idea to project the perfect image, the curated Instagram worthy parts of me that the world affirms. And this happens at a super young age. In fact, from the very early formations of walking and talking, you are working out what leads to happiness. You're working out what is to be accepted, what is to be affirmed. Maybe you were being mummy's little helper. And so that lie turns into, if I am good, people will love me. Maybe for you, you were told you were beautiful and handsome when you were all perfectly dressed. And now that lie takes hold of you. And every time you look in the mirror, you think about how can I slim down? What's the next diet? Is this clothing that I'm wearing good enough? Will they accept me for the looks that I have in front of me? Maybe for you, you're the Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamites who's still stuck in the significance of his throw of the football, which is irony in itself. You're throwing a football. Just my little jab there as an Englishman. You're throwing a football. But we'll leave it at that today. But maybe you are the Uncle Rico who now believes the lie, and so your past is all you are, and so you live into the past every single day. You are held by the past, retelling your greatness over and over again. Nothing present or future is any good because you are stuck in the lie of your past. We want to become lovable. And once those talons of self-achieving dig into us, we cannot let go. Once those talons of what it means to make ourselves happy and loved stick into us, we cannot help but be gripped to feed the beast of the false self over and over again. The perfect projection of ourselves. And sadly, that does not end in Christianity. For whatever reason, the grace of God is what saved you, yet somehow your false self is maintaining you. That we turn up with these perfect curated smiles of how you're doing. Yes, good. Blessings. God is good. And we miss the encounter of God wanting to transform our lives. So we are in this year series of Resilient Together. To be resilient people means we need to be deeply connected, have strong foundations with God and one another. And so if we are resiliently formed, we need strong foundations. The foundations are the hidden places within us. The places that people do not see, yet when crisis happens, you fall apart because of them. And so we are saying, let the light in on the foundations. And we have started that venture with the lies that we believe. We talked about last week about the lies we believe about God. And much of this message will still echo some of that message from last week. Because today we want to talk about the lies we believe about ourselves today. We want to talk about the lies that we believe about ourselves. Where does the false self come from? Where does it origin from? And so the passage that Pastor Rob Lev is our text for today. And so I'd love for you to open or turn on your Bible today as we read together Genesis chapter 3. The words will also be on the screen for you today. 
And so the passage opens, Genesis chapter 3, creation has happened, beautiful things are occurring. And in chapter 3, it all starts, now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What is interesting, the enemy comes not with a knife, but an idea. He doesn't come with force or spiritual forces. He comes with a knife. And this is the most effective lie because there are seeds of truth in the statement he has just made there. Did God really say, eat from any tree in the garden? And with that lie, that little lie, he is making a generous offer become something of a stingy offer. Did God say not to eat from any tree in the garden? The statement before is, you can eat from all the trees, all the good things. And yet the enemy comes to narrow the viewpoint of, did God really say you couldn't eat from a tree? And narrow down Eve's view of the generosity of where uh, God was. Where there was once love, Suddenly, the lie comes in to twist the truth and trust of God. And the lie instantly takes root because the woman replies to the servant, we may eat from the tree. I put in parenthesis there every because that is the statement that is made in Genesis chapter 2. Yet she counsels out the word every and she singularizes the tree. We may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. It's interesting that she changes the narrative. She joins in with the lie, unbeknownst how quickly that lie takes root, that God is not trustworthy, that he is stingy, and she changes the lesson that she has learned from God, that God may be not as good as what she originally thought. And what's interesting, she adds as well a truth. She adds a her truth. She says that God is not to even touch. Notice how Trust is being broken apart, that she is joining the conversation of distrust, but she is adding a narrative to stop the goodness of God as well. God never said not to touch it, but she began to add rules and regulations because that's what distrust does and that's what lies do. They quickly come with a half-truth of God not being trusted And then it begins to take root, changing your viewpoint of how you see the goodness of God. And we begin to make our own rules, our own expectations. This is the point. Dismantled trust of God's goodness is the beginning of the false self. The dismantled trust in God's goodness is the beginning of sin. We sin because we do not trust God. And the enemy loves to chip away at the trust. The enemy wants to edge out you receiving and so try to achieve what you desire for your heart. And we begin to think it's all about us. We carry on reading. In verse 4 and 5, 
the Satan comes back to now sink the lie into Eve. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's an amazing lie right there because he's already set on the truth that God is not to be trusted. And so that narrative has now sunk in and now it's you can be like God and take for yourself. Void of relationship. Void of being able to do anything and saying, I, you can do it all for yourself. I think of Frank Sinatra, did it my way. As we kind of sing that song that you can do this life and be like God. Because Eve had been pulled away, individualized by herself. And so the lie had taken root inside of her. And so we see this now narrative begin to take root. And what's really interesting is that Eve, no, sorry, the, the serpent never said, take the fruit. The enemy will never come out with moral uh, action. He will always sow the lead, the, the lie, to distrust. And once he sows the lie to distrust, the action takes care of itself. And so if you can blame the devil for your actions, I would argue, actually, that was you. But he had already sowed the, sowed the lie in to distrust, to trust in yourself. And then your flesh took full control. It saw that it was good. They opened their eyes and they ate of the fruits. What's sad is, is that their eyes were open, both of them opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. From the heights of intimacy, if the gospel, the good news, the Genesis passage that God has reconciled things in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, is creation narrative. If this is the narrative, if you put your hands together with me, this is the narrative this is how we began when creation happened, that we were held together and just pull your hands apart. And this is the reality that we are living in and that we are found in separation, intimacy of care, and instead we find shame and estrangement. It's mind-blowing that we traded the opportunity to think that we could be like God by ourselves and all we received was shame and estrangement. Death cutting off from the land of the living. You will not die. Oh yes, you will die. It might not be instant, but it is actually the fact that we are separated away from God. That's the life that we have lost. The separation from the land of the living, the land of God's goodness, because we thought we could do it our way. And what's interesting is, when they ceased to look at God as the provider of all good things, they looked inwards. They looked at themselves. And it's not even like they suddenly saw good things. Any vision away from God, and we look at ourselves, we only see our problems. What we think are problems. The nakedness that we feel like that we are not good enough. None of the things that were good happened because we started looking at ourselves. Amen? Like we don't find ourselves in ourselves. The narrative of find your true self within is the biggest lie that is captivating the Western world. Follow your heart's desire is not a good message to follow because there is nothing. Because what is the heart? Deceitful. It is rooted in our evilness. 
And so what do they do? They live by default now to add or achieve to experience love. And so they add fig leaves to their lives. And we do the same. Fig fig leaves cover up and control the perception. They show our best selves. Shame, there is something wrong with me. Guilt is that I've done something wrong. But shame has this narrative that you are wrong, that you are broken. There is nothing good about you. And so we cover up. Because we've lost identity with vision of looking at God, receiving his goodness, now we have to achieve and we pick fig leaves. And the false self is like fig leaves. It works. It covers up some of those areas that you don't want people to see. You can perform, you can do good things until it doesn't. Because fig leaves, when you cut them off, immediately start dying. As soon as you start putting fig leaves on, they begin to lose their satisfaction. You look good for a second, and then it starts to mold and waste away. And it's much like how we treat good deeds, compliments, achievements. To stop the shame, we keep grasping for compliments. We keep grasping for doing good things. Do you feel that this morning? Wow, super quiet this morning. Okay, we're a very honest church, and I don't know if Pastor Rob is very honest. I'm sure he is. We're very honest. But I'm pretty sure I could get a resounding amen in that moment, right? Don't be afraid to talk in this church. I know we feel a little quiet at the moment, and you're probably trying to understand my accent. I get that. Try Holy Spirit. Come bring an interpretation. And so for us... This false self keeps us locked in. It keeps us fearful. It keeps us always trying to achieve. And Adam and Eve were not protecting themselves against pain, but actually they were defending against God's love. They weren't protecting against pain, but they were actually, unbeknownst to them, uh, preventing God's love. And they just said, we can do this. And this is what the false self does. It prevents the blessing of God's love. But the beautiful gospel news is that God will always come into our situations. Amen. He will always come into those spaces. But the Lord God, and I love, but the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? God knows exactly where he is. He knows exactly what he's doing. But he invites him into a space. Will you come out of your brokenness and come meet? Because that's the reality that we live in. We are the ones who have to come out and meet him. The invitation is always there. He is there in the garden with you. He is in your problem, in your mess. But he wants you to step out and receive the goodness that he has for you. God comes into the garden. He doesn't ignore the mess. He doesn't brush over it. But I love these words I've highlighted. Who told you you were naked? Who told you that you had to perform to be loved? Who said that you weren't enough? That lie that has so sunken into their hearts. And Adam had the opportunity, I believe, maybe early on to even start this resurrection process. But instead he shifted the blame. The false self had taken root. He shifted the blame away from himself and the false self took control. 
and it poured into the woman and she shifted and we shift and we shift and we shift. More on that next week, the lies we believe about others. But today, uh, we do not find our true self by seeking it. Because often that's what we're trying to do. If I cover up, if I try and create space to know myself, do my achieving and work, we do not find it. Because the reality is we find our true selves by seeking and seeing God alone. Your true self is not achieved. To find who you really are. Ignore the Western narrative of find your truth. Your truth is not achieved, it is received. Your true self is not achieved, it is received. And the rest of the Bible is really this narrative that we see. It's take off your fig leaves and clothe yourself with intimacy. Clove yourself with intimacy. Take off the fig leaves that happen through. And the closest moment we kind of get is where Moses has had this amazing opportunity of connection. He's on the mountaintop. Can you imagine that? You're God. You're talking face to face. And God says, I want to see you. And Moses is like, I'm sorry, God is like, that's not going to work out. But you can see the back of me. And this powerful moment of where somehow Moses has taken off the fig leaves to be vulnerable before God. And they have this interaction. But lo and behold, down below, the children of Israel are making a false self. They're creating a God in what they expect, what they believe is possible. And we do this all the time. Moses has gone for 40 days and they've given up on him. That's the reality that we all live in. We will naturally go to self control, trust of self when left without a vision of looking at God. What I love is in John, John, the the disciple, follower of Jesus, when he writes the gospel, he is older in age now. And the opening chapter is that the word of God has come into the world. I love Eugene Peterson's translation that uh, it comes into the neighborhood. Flesh and blood come into the neighborhood. And it says this, we have seen the glory We have seen the goodness of God. Can you imagine that? John is now reflecting and Jesus coming that wants what Moses wanted to see face to face. Now we see in Jesus Christ. The glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The face of compassion who healed. Who moved towards the lepers and the outcasts, the sinners. Who died while we were yet enemies of God. Because I think this is the problem we have, that when we want to take off the fig leaves, we don't believe the intimacy is on the other side. We don't actually believe that there is a good God on the other side. Because, and polls show this, and I don't need you to answer this, but just ask yourself in your heart, if you stood before God today, what would he say to you? And a vast majority of people say he would be disappointed in me. And I think that's an ache of a soul as much as you can proclaim, oh, God's grace and mercy. I fully believe that you have this stance where you feel he's always disappointed and you always have to achieve to bring about something in your life. If we want to drop the fig leaves, we've got to know the face of who is looking back at us and smiling. We have got to know the God who smiles so deeply. He is so proud of you. If you hear nothing else of this message today, he is proud of you and he loves you. Even amongst your stuff in your life. 
Yes, he wants to see you change. Yes, he wants to see you free. You can experience eternal life now. But the reality is he is a good father whose gaze upon you is love. And he wants to cast out all fear from you. I love how Paul looks at this image today. Do not lie to one another. Stop the lies from separating yourself and from others. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So it's not just head knowledge, guys. We've got to get our actions in line as well. It's great to inform the mind, the battle of the mind, but the practice, living out the action is also so key. And put on the new self. That word put is continuous, so it's putting on. We are always taking off and we are always putting on constantly. This is a daily experience that we so need because I don't know about you, but I forget who I'm meant to look like in Jesus. How often do I need, and this may be just a really simple message for you today, but simple is so needed. We need to remind ourselves there is a false self that you're contending, and you can't just blame the devil for everything. There's a reality within you that God, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to transform. Paul will also talk about in 2 Corinthians that with unveiled faces we can gaze upon God. And it's because of the freedom of the Spirit that we can now look at Him. We can now change from glory to glory to glory. It's the gaze which transforms. It's what you look at that transforms. He carries on, which is being renewed in the knowledge, the gnosko, the experience, after the image of its creator. Think about that. What we look at, we become. What are you looking at today? Are you on social media comparing yourself with other people, always looking to the lack of what you have? Is that your daily narrative that you're not enough and that you need more? You're not liked. No one likes you. Do you focus in on the lie or do you focus on the gaze of the one who loves, who died for you? This is what he's saying. Because then he clarifies, what kind of clothes are we talking about here, Paul? Well, put on that God has you as chosen. You're chosen. God, before the foundations of the earth, chose you. You are holy. Just say it together. I am holy. I am holy because God is holy. I'm in proximity with him and therefore I am holy. I am beloved. Let's say it together. I am beloved. I am beloved. And that's where we get the compassionate hearts. That's where kindness comes. That's where humility, meekness, patience, the fruits of the Spirit come from the origins of our gaze that we behold upon the one who gives that to us. You don't find your true self, though I love all the personality tests. I'm a personality junkie. I love knowing how people work. I love people, and I love how you work. But it, it can only scratch the surface of an infinite plan that God has for your life. You must prioritize in the Scripture looking at what this tells you who you are. There is daily promises that we need, and I know this is old news, but it needs repeated today because the world is trying to inform you. You are being discipled by someone or something. And so it's receiving, not achieving today. It's receiving. And in a moment, we're about to take communion together. I love communion. 
It's this beautiful thing that God is stirring inside of me more and more. And I've grown up as a Christian my entire life. My entire life um, in the church, bathed in the church, saved at six years old. I was in a church probably five times a week in youth group, missions trips, worship leader as a teenager. And the crazy part about that was is that my doing for God outweighed my being with God for so long. Like at 16, I discovered a gift that I was fairly good at leading worship. People celebrated me and that felt really good. And I didn't realize how quickly my identity had been wrapped up in that identity. But God used it because I wanted to be a really good worship leader. So I wanted to go to Hillsong, which was the latest worship thing at the moment. I wanted to go to their college. I didn't read the small print that it's a leadership college. And so I went there with all the expectations to learn to be the best worship leader. And I did not lead worship an entire year. And I died to myself. I hated every moment of it. I was like, God, where are you? You're not moving. And I wasn't able to even hear the voice because I was so enwrapped. My doing was my identity. And God began to gently unravel who I am. I'm still working this stuff out. 20 years old, the wrecking ball came into my life. 18 years later, I'm still on the mission. Because the conversation at the ministerium continued. I went to them and said, I had all these really good answers I wanted to give you, but actually I wanted to impress you. And I shared that with them. Being vulnerable, I was revealing my false self. This is who I am and I don't like it. And they all chuckle because they're way older than I am and they're like, yeah, you can't impress us and you don't need to impress us. And I was like, I understand that. I understand that. I needed to say that. And I said to them, my journey this year is to die more to myself. Doesn't look attractive. Humiliation after humiliation of not being good enough in certain areas and just saying, God, it's okay because I know you love me. Finding people's flaws and my team know how flawed I am. I am definitely not good at detail. That's one of the flaws that came out this weekend. Trying to prepare for this service, I was like, man, my communication is not so good. Thankfully, God gave me an amazing wife who is the yin and the yang to me, amen. She, she is the better half of all those details that get unseen. She is the unseen hero in our relationship and she keeps me ticking and alive because I probably wouldn't eat. I just keep on rolling and forget to eat so many times. Anyways, but this is the act that God really put. It's the receiving, not the achieving. And maybe for you today, you're trying to achieve your spirituality. Maybe for you, you're trying to read your Bible enough, pray enough to earn enough points to be good enough for God. And God said, that's just the false self. I have loved you already. I have loved you already. You are loved right now. You are loved as much as you will ever be loved, no matter how you act from now on. God's love is eternal, perfect, and vast. So the invitation today, even as we come today to take communion, I'd love for the guys to bring the communion table. Rob, you can get yourself ready here in a sec. But the invitation today is the communion table is the most beautiful and amazing thing. It's God saying, I've already done the work. Here's my body in remembrance to me. Eat of my bread daily. This is the bread. And I wouldn't be opposed to people doing communion every day. The reality that we could consume his body that is life, that is goodness. When's the last time that you received God's goodness? When was the last time that you were told an affirmation of God's life and word? Amen? When was it? Or 
How many times have you already told lies about yourself this morning? Not good enough, that you don't look. I bet the truth of God's love has been outweighed by the lies already today. And so this is the invitation right before us. This is the remembrance that God supplies all of our needs through his body, through his daily bread, and his blood washes you brand new. You just have to receive. You have to know that you are not enough. And so if we can just lower the lights and just take a moment to reflect. Just with every eye closed. And just with our hands in our laps this morning, I want you to do an examination of your heart this morning. I want you to know, when I was talking, what lie came to the surface that you resounded with? I'm not enough. I always have to perform. I have to be good enough. What lie have you been believing today? And we just come to you, Holy Spirit. Come reveal that experience today because we want to bring it to the cross today, amen? We want to bring it to the cross. And we want to say, God, would you do something new in our hearts today? You have already provided the meal and the sufficiency that we need But when we're hanging on to so much other stuff that we have to control and perform, we won't be able to receive the good thing that God gives. Many of you are holding things right now, burdens. And God says, I want you to put them down today. I want you to put them down. If we have not experienced for ourselves the unconditional love of God, we have much work to do. We have not experienced today the unconditional love that God sees you at your worst and loves you more than any other person. We have some work to do. So in this moment, let's just invite Holy Spirit come. We just say, come, Holy Spirit, come. We invite you to illuminate the lie that we believe about ourselves because we're going to come to the table today to leave it at the cross. We're going to bring our lie to the cross today. And we are going to eat and drink the receiving that we need. And I believe that God wants to do some miracles today. He wants to set you free. So hand over to Pastor Rob here as he leads us in communion today.